Welcome to episode 114 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Tarek. And I'm Marco. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing journeys, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And we've had a great run of guests on the past few episodes of the podcast. Yeah. Including last week, we had the award-winning crime writer Chris Whitaker. Fantastic. Uh, and that theme continues this week, although perhaps I shouldn't say that. Is that award-winning crime writers <laughs> are a dagger to your heart? A dagger to my heart. Very excellent pun there, Marco. Yes, this week we're chatting with the uh, obviously well-worthy, fantastically award-winning author Janice Hallett. Um, who I should perhaps clarify that Janice beat Tarek in the CWA <laughs> well deserved, Awards. Well-deserved win, Janice. It was uh, her, for her novel, The Appeal, uh, which was her her first crime novel, and it's it's a fantastic book, and it's a kind of crime novel, but it's made up of emails and text messages. Um, it's it's a really unusual format, but it's a really compelling yeah. read. It's fantastic. Yeah, you can really see as we speak to Janice about. You can really see that her background is in screenwriting because it's a very unusual but brilliant uh, approach that she takes with her books, um, and. And that's after, you know, she she did have some early success in her screenwriting career. She had a film called Retreat made with uh, Killian Murphy. Yeah. And um, after that, as we've heard from other guests, it can be difficult to get consistent success in screenwriting. So someone suggested to her, why not turn this idea into a novel? Which Great advice. <laughs> yeah, it, it turned out to be a brilliant idea. Um, and yeah, her her latest book, The Twyford Code, is a similar yeah. non-prose approach. I think it's a series of audio files. And it's an approach that you would think, given the structure of the books, it would take some planning. You would think that. But uh, <laughs> as we find out, maybe yeah. not. No, it's a fantastic chat and yeah, very interesting. I think there's a lot there, whether you're a script writer or a novel writer, some definitely some new stuff here, I think. But anyway, uh, we'll get straight into the podcast after a quick advert for our writer's notebook and then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story, so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Did you always want to be a writer? The short answer to that is yes. From the moment I learned to read and write, always wanted to be a writer. And I, I was always kind of good at it. And I worked that out 
because the teacher would often read my work to the class. Now, that sounds great, doesn't it? But let me tell you, that does not endear you to your classmates when you're young. <laughs> in fact, never at no point in your school career does that make people like you. I was not cool at all because my, my uh, essays were read out all the time. And uh, so I always had a, a sort of idea that I was good at it and I could do it. Uh, which I think I think was a good sort of grounding for being a writer. It was a good grounding for years and years of failure <laughs> when um, people didn't seem to want to read what I'd written. <laughs> and that led to you studying English at university then, was, the, I suppose, the 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 uh, most obvious pathway, if that's what you wanted to do. Yeah, it was really. And that was because back in those days, there weren't many or any, I think, creative writing courses at university that if you wanted to write you had to kind of do English even though beyond the age of about 14 you didn't really do much creative writing you mm. were generally reading and writing about the books you'd read because there's a subtle change certainly in my day um, in English classes from when you're a child to when you're a teenager so I ended up writing but I tended to be writing about other people's books which wasn't really the same but it was the only route I could see um, to having a career where I was writing all the time. Mm -hmm. so, because yeah. you you went on to work as a magazine editor, is that is that right? And then and then you also I worked did. for an agency that kind of wrote for the government type. Was it? I, I wasn't exactly sure what exactly was you were writing for the government, but was it kind of like an agency that wrote some kind of documents or or adverts? For yeah, they were um, run by ex civil servants who. Uh, noticed a gap in the market for government communications and that's that could be anything that could that was speeches for politicians oh, right, okay. right up to um or down to i don't know up to or down to um <laughs> articles in magazines that would be produced by um say the job center for people who work there or by um the metropolitan police uh as part of the home office um for policemen and women police officers and that would be i remember working for specials magazine for special police officers uh, so it was a really varied you didn't know what's from a, one what's day a to the special next. police officer it's kind of volunteer police oh, I see, if I they see. still have them i think probably no your idea. listeners will know whether they still have them or not but back in 2006 they definitely still had oh, okay. special police officers uh, who were volunteers um yeah and, and they had their own magazine at the time and i wrote <laughs> articles for that and all this stuff so must have been really good to help you to teach i mean i know you're kind of it wasn't the kind of writing you wanted to do but was there stuff that you learned from those jobs like working the deadlines oh, and edits and stuff i learned so much i mean the 15 years i spent in magazine publishing was really really useful too but the year and a half i spent doing that sort of often by the seat of my pants writing about things i knew nothing about was a great preparation for yeah writing novels writing scripts and having to take the plunge having to meet deadlines when I just didn't know what to write you know it was it was um it's a real education when you're a lot about being a writer is confidence a confidence to start writing and getting words down on a page and that helped me there a lot it was still very very hard I wouldn't go back to doing that I don't think <laughs> at the moment but it had its place in my career yeah and also finishing things I suppose is a big thing for people that are that are wanting to get into writing it's often people will have you know 30 the start of 30 great novels but they've never pushed through to the end and I think getting into that habit and learning how to finish something whether it's technical writing or fiction is always a helpful helpful skill to learn 100% they're two separate skills starting something and finishing something and a lot of writers fall at the first hurdle they don't start mm. they've always got their ideas in their heads but they don't start yeah and as you say others never finish and um, you, you had um an interest obviously in screenwriting in particular what was it that, that drove you down that path as opposed to you know um, fiction at first that I came to screenwriting via playwriting really because mm -hmm. when I gave up my job in publishing I've been doing amateur drama for well all of my life it was my main hobby and um, a friend Sharon and I we'd written a play and just as I was giving up my career in publishing this play we were putting on with the Raglan players, it was called It's My Manor. And uh, I thought, well, that'd be good because just as I've you know, stopped my full-time job, I can throw myself into this play and really give it my all see if that's something I, I fancy doing. And of course, it was amazing. Um, the first time the audience laughed at the first joke in that play, 
which was a joke that I'd written. You know, that I was hooked from that moment to this. Um, that's led to me being here. Um, and I was hooked. So the, the playwriting, although I loved it, it didn't seem to be a career, whereas screenwriting did seem to be a career. Mm-hmm. So shortly after um, It's My Manor was put on by the Raglan Players, I um, signed up for an MA in screenwriting with Royal Holloway. And that's what led to my... Um, short and bumpy screenwriting career <laughs> up until that point <laughs> well for folk for folk listening who um are interested in the kind of masters in screenwriting what was the course like what sort of sort of stuff do you learn on it and is it something you'd recommend others doing uh, yes i would recommend it and not everybody does it i mean it's strange and i'm always in two minds as to whether to recommend it or not i loved it i had the time of my life on that writing course I met friends that I'm still friends with now and I at the end of it I had a script that I was really proud of and that I knew um, would make people sit up and and read it Um, on the downside I think an MA in screenwriting doesn't really get you into the industry itself per se it will give you confidence it would teach you how to do it and I never had any doubt once I'd finished that MA that I could write a screenplay because uh, I'd learned how to do it and I'd done it and that's that's a valuable thing that that level of confidence going into that industry um, and I had this script that I could show people so for that alone and for the safe space in which to write with other like-minded people under the guidance of um, it was um, Sue, Sue Clayton who um, ran the course at the time uh, she was a director so I had um, you know, a professional was teaching you how to do it that was fabulous so uh, yeah for me I loved it it was I wouldn't have not done it um, not everybody wants to study for two years um, or can afford to or can afford the time so you, I don't think you have to but um, you know if you've got the time if you can afford it um, it's a great way to to get into that industry does does the course involve you know does it give you any of the practical side obviously it teaches you the technical side of writing a screenplay and things but does it does, do you get any contact with people in the industry at all during the course? We have people come in to talk to us. I've done lots of different sorts of screenwriting courses, really. And, yeah, you do tend to meet people from the industry. Um, it has and it hasn't um, created um, openings or opportunities, really. I mean, it, it doesn't. I think there's when you're in a creative career, there's a kind of... Um, aversion to a formal training and formal qualifications I think people would love to get a a sort of unpolished talent and to say well we've got this screenwriter who's never written before and she's come up with an amazing idea rather than this person has invested in a two-year course and then another year course doing something else they would rather have that romantic story mm-hmm. than the the boring um, person who's got all the qualifications like an accountant might uh, so there is there's that element too and there's no prerequisite for a qualification in the industry of screenwriting uh, a lot of people uh, come up into that industry through uh, working as researchers and through working as script editors and other ways and they have no formal qualifications or training apart from on the job so I'm, I will hesitate to, to recommend the courses, but if it's something you feel you'd like to do and you feel you need confidence building in that um, direction and you've no experience or contacts in the industry, then it's a good way, a good way to build them up. Uh, now, you went on to write or to co-write Retreat, which was a film made with uh, Killian Murphy. I believe that's how you say his name. And Jamie Killian, Bell, yeah. kids killing, yeah, and Jamie yeah. Bell, and I wondered how did that come about, and was that the script that you'd been working on during your Emmy? Yes, it was that very cool. script um, that got me that job. It's actually a strange way that I came to to do that. My friend uh, emailed me, a friend who was on that MA course, said I've got the latest edition of Shooting People, which certainly was back then um, a film industry website that connected um, professionals together. Should I've seen a um, you know a post on one of the forums there asking for a playwright to help um, a director rewrite a script and I thought that sounds like me you know it's definitely a job for me so I signed up for shooting people and if she hadn't seen it I never would have Um, signed up for shooting people and hooked up with Carl Tibbetts who was that director who placed the ad Uh, he had a script that he'd written 
called Retreat, and it's the basic story of, of the film with those three characters. Uh, but he'd been advised to get a playwright to to polish it up and rewrite it, basically. Uh, so that's what I did. Um, we got together. He read my my calling card script, um, and we got to, together and did that. I stayed. Let's um, see, that was two thousand and seven. 2006 2007 now retreat was filmed in 2010 so it was three to four years that I stayed on board rewriting and working with him on that story um, and it was released in 2011 so that's how many years that's that's quite fast for a film that's mm. not um, a long time at all it's a very it's a long game industry put it that way yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing because, yeah, absolutely is a lot. We've, we've had some screenwriters on it, and definitely that's the story they tell as well. But it's a funny thing because often a screenplay, as opposed to a novel, for example, you can, it seems that it's it's possible to write a screenplay in a quicker way than, than a novel. Um, but the, the, actually living with that, if you like, it lasts a lot longer because of the process and the number of people that need to look at a screenplay and decide if it's right and all of that sort of thing. A hundred percent. Yeah, it swings and roundabouts. To, I mean, a screenplay, uh, if you're really flying, uh, you can write it so quickly. Even um, a 90 minute film. I mean, I've done that when I've been fired up with an idea. I've done that in two to three weeks. And it's so light and airy and you can, it's so, I don't, if anyone's written a script, they'll know it's at the top of your mind and you can fly through it with all the dialogue and, mm-hmm. and, and so on. I mean, people who work on, um, say, 30-minute dramas on TV can write one of those scripts in days. You know, they're, they're, they're so, um, not easy to write, but they're fast to write. And you're collaborating with other people. So if you're stuck, you've got other brains, yeah. other minds, other creatives to help you. And yeah, the novel is the opposite you're on your own and you're on your own day after day after day and month after month and often you know a year and sometimes more than a year if you're working um slower if you're a slower worker or if it's your first novel likely to be longer so yeah the two are totally different experiences no no after you after um retreat came out did you want to continue down that path did you keep writing more scripts was that was that the plan yeah yeah Carl and I stayed working together as co-writers um for years I think that it came out in 2011 um we stayed we've worked on countless ideas and this is often getting quite far into development with them working with production companies um you know working with producers so we weren't just on our own there we were working uh year after year but the film industry at that time was undergoing quite a change and not not a good one um you know there was less investment in films of the the level that we were working at the the low budget thriller film um and gradually over the years as the years went by and we were actually getting less and less um success we kind of had to both look at our careers and think well where are we going and what what do we want to do and of course by then we changed as people we both had ideas that we wanted to work on ourselves so around I can't remember when this decision was made or whether we even made a decision around 2013 2014 we kind of stopped working together and he went off and did his thing I did went off and did mine um And that's when I started to try and seriously get into TV writing, which I'd always wanted to do, but I had been working with Carl, so I hadn't had a huge amount of time to do it. Um, And then so many years of trying to get into TV followed uh, for me, and I was never particularly successful at that. And so, so what what was it then? You know, when did you decide, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna leave the screenwriting. And, and try try my hand at, at fiction instead when did that happen that would have been around 2018 so we were talking about between 2013 14 so we're talking four to five years mm-hmm. that I solidly was trying to get into tv that's writing spec script after spec script coming up with ideas trying to keep my enthusiasm going doing lots of schemes for screenwriters mm-hmm. and applying for different um all sorts of screenwriting schemes as anyone who's tried to get into that industry would know there's lots lots going on at any one time trying to get plays on at the same time in the hope that that would get my work seen by the relevant tv people uh and i was on um i was actually on a scheme run by the triforce creative network and it was for screenwriters 
from sort of underrepresented backgrounds who weren't breaking through. Now, I'm a woman. Uh, by that time, I was an awful lot older than many people in the industry. So I had that. Um, and I try and sound posh, but I am working class. Let me assure you that. So I did qualify for this uh, scheme run by Triforce. And um, that proved to be quite a turning point for me because I was given um, Cameron Roach as a mentor. Now he at the time was uh, assistant head of drama at Sky. And I had a few meetings with him and I was bemoaning the fact I had so many ideas. I couldn't get them out there. You know, I was coming up with these wonderful spec scripts and these ideas that I've loved and characters. And nothing was happening with them. No one was reading them, just my agent and her assistant. And they were just saying, oh, they're great. And then I was putting them in the drawer and starting the next spec script. So I was bemoaning this to Cameron. And he said, well, you know, there is a route you could take. You could try and write one of them, one of these ideas as a novel. And that could kickstart your screenwriting career um, if it was successful. And I went away and thought, well, for the one part, it sounds like he's told me to give up screenwriting after all these years of trying to do it. <laughs> so I thought, wow. Um, <laughs> but um, then I thought some more. And I thought, well, that is true, what he's told me. Because what I told him was that I was doing the same thing time and again and expecting different results and they say that's the first sign of insanity um so if i did something different um you know what have i got to lose and that was the key really i had nothing to lose at that point so i closed down final draft and i opened up word a word document i had an idea floating around my head and it's about um, two um, volunteers who'd volunteered overseas in war zones as medics for many years and they're forced back to the UK and their experiences that are so out of the ordinary compared to everybody else, those experiences had informed their views of the people in this very small community that they find themselves in. So that idea was flying around. So I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to write that idea as a novel. And that was where the appeal started. I didn't think much about it. I didn't read anything about how to write a novel, so I didn't know how to write one. I just started writing and I had fun and I enjoyed myself for a whole year until it was finished. And the, I mean, that's interesting because you see you, hadn't, you, you didn't, you know, look into any research on how to write a novel because mm -hmm. the, the appeal itself is a really interesting type of novel. You know, it's, it's not a traditional novel that people would expect. It's made up of text messages, emails, kind of back and forth conversations um, and I, and so I I was going to ask you what made you go down that route, but I take it that was because that was coming from a screenplay background. That kind of all the dialogue heavy uh, route made more sense. It did, yeah. It was the lack of thinking about it that um, made me, I suppose, yeah, go down the route that I've been going down already. That I knew, I knew about people talking, and I think the appeal is. Um, as a reader, we're overhearing people talking when they don't realise we're listening. So, yeah, that's that's exactly where it came from. And I also thought, well, the idea I'd thought of was a, was a screen idea. So I thought, how about the novel being messages going backwards and forwards between minor characters? And that um, thought behind it was why we don't hear from some of the main characters in The Appeal. These main characters, we never... We never see them almost. We just hear about them from other people. And we have to build up our own picture of them. And that comes entirely from that thought that this could be the novel that accompanied a screen story. It, it's, it, it is a really interesting um, way to write a novel. And, you know, there are some other novels that I'm thinking of, like World War Z or something like that, that's got transcripts and things like that, that, that takes a sort of similar approach. Even that is more prose heavy, really. But um, how do you, you know, when you write a script, it's all show, don't tell. Um, and obviously you're, there are some directions and you're, you're assuming that the people will be on the screen and demonstrating something that, that will get across the point. But when you're purely in, in this format, but without doing it in a prose format, how, how do you get across everything that you need to get across, if you see what I mean? It's Yeah, it's quite a skill. And I think, I think screenwriting does teach you that, because although you have to um, show and not tell, you have to 
get things across. I think sometimes in just one or two choices of words, mm -hmm. you can get across quite a lot in, in terms of mood and setting and in, in someone's, um, what, well, if they say something and they behave a way that suggests they're thinking something else, you can do a lot of that um, in screenplay writing. But that's part of the technical side that you learn when you learn to screenwrite properly is to do that, to, to get things across that um, make, means that you are telling even though it looks like you're showing. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. um, that's part of the skill. Uh, I have realised though when you take an idea for the screen and turn it into a novel, rather the way that you look at your, your, the film of your favourite book and think, well, they didn't put X, Y, Z in, they haven't got that character, they didn't put that plot point in. You have to take things out of a book to put it on screen. But if you take uh, a screen idea and turn it into a book, you have to add things. You have to add rather more plots, more mm -hmm. characters, and you have to have rather more um, description, more um, going on. There has to be more going on. For some reason, it's, it's a weird um, thing because normally books are translated to the screen rather than screen ideas translated into yeah, books. But I've, I've gone the other way. <laughs> It's a it's it's a fantastic book, and I I think it did a really good job of avoiding that kind of, you know, oh this is Stuart, my brother. Remember you remember him? He's got blue eyes, and that kind of really, <laughs> but nobody ever talk like that. And just to get, yeah. which is all it takes you right out of it, and uh, and it, but it, it does it as you see it, with clever word choice, you can you can get things across in a way that mm -hmm. sounds more natural. And I, and I wondered, you know, it's it's a kind of story where there's twists and turns, etc., and it's. It felt very much like something which must have been meticulously plotted and planned out. But I think I read it was, in fact, the opposite. Is that right? The exact opposite. I didn't write many notes at all. I simply wrote and had fun. And I let each character emerge on the page uh, as they arrived. And I think that is why um, the murder happened so late. Because I was having such a lot of fun with all these characters <laughs> interacting, putting this play on and being talking behind each other's backs and being a bit snide and a bit um, dodgy that uh, the murder didn't happen to them much later. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't plot. I'm a, I'm a pantser rather than a plotter. Uh, but my plotting happens at a later stage. That That's all. I think it's not um, writing a novel is no easier either way because uh, I have to do my plotting later when I have my first structural edit, structural edit. And um, that's a lot of hard work then. It's, uh, that's when I have my head in my hands, <laughs> trying, to, trying to sort out the plot points and the, the characters. And uh, yeah, so I do go through the, the mill, but just not at that early writing stage. Yeah, I, w I was going to ask that because um, obviously with, with something like The Appeal, I was wondering how you, if you're just pantsing it, as they say, how you keep track of the different characters and, you know, who said what to whom and when and... But presumably that comes in the in the edit stage then, that you try it, and hone all of that down. It does. I spent a whole year writing the appeal, so that's quite a long time to get to know all of those characters, longer than the time I have to write a novel right now, which is about seven to eight months. Um, so I had you know, the luxury of time, and because there's no deadline, I could, I could have taken longer. Um, so, yeah, I could work things out um, a lot, you know, at my leisure, mm -hmm. if you like, then. Yeah. Whereas now there's a bit more pressure to... Um, have a sort of finished finished story, finished plot, and rounded characters a lot sooner in the process. Does that extra pressure uh, mean that you've maybe changed your approach? To do you plan more stuff now, knowing you've got less time to play around with it later on? I don't really. No, maybe I should. <laughs> when you say that, I'm thinking, oh, goodness, I should. I should plot a bit more. Um, no, everyone's everyone's technique works for them, and if, 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 that's, if that's the way it works, don't change it. <laughs> I'm hoping that being a bit more experienced, because I'm now on my third novel and planning or planning and thinking, hoping to trying to start my fourth. Um, I'm hoping the greater experience that will help me get through. And Touchwood, so far, that is working. And with the, with the appeal, obviously, it was the first novel. Um, did you have to find an age, a literary agent for that that was different from someone that you might have had when you were a screenwriter? No, I was lucky at that stage because my um, screenwriting agent, uh, Lucy Fawcett at Shield Land, uh, she, um, well, she deals with screenwriting, but at Shield Land, they also um, represent mm -hmm. novel writers. So all she had to do was pass my, you know, the appeal manuscript onto Gaia, 
Guy Banks, um, who deals with novels. So that was quite an easy um, transition. Now, I, I did struggle to get um, an agent earlier on in my career, and I, in fact, didn't get one, didn't sign with, with Lucy until I think it was either 2014 or 2015. Now, when you think I gave up my publishing job in 20, 2006, and I'd even had, had um, retreat out, I'd been a, a screen, I had a film made, mm-hmm. I still couldn't get an agent. So that was a real stumbling block for me, and it, um, I still... Um, feel the stress of not having an agent in this industry for so many years and if there's anybody out there listening to this who is struggling to find an agent I would say keep at it because it took me it felt like forever and it held up my career quite a bit Um, keep going keep trying and you know you will get there in the end Uh, because it's for some people it happens really quickly uh, others really really slow and I was one of those um, you know in almost 10 years uh, it took me. Is a is a is an agent um, as important if you're a screenwriter uh, with, compared to if you're a novelist? Is it, I mean, I know they obviously would help you with contracts and stuff, but is it is it the same kind of you need to have an agent to get past the post to get your script made? I would say yes, unless you have particular skills and you've got lots of contacts and you know about contracts and you know lots of people and you can handle your own career. Some people say they do. Um, unless you've got that, then I'd say an agent is absolutely essential. And they're, they're a real friend for you. They're one of the most important relationships, if not the most important relationships you'll have as a, a, as a writer. Um, so you need an agent who's good and who's on your side and who loves your work. Um, if, you, if you're on your own, I mean, some people who've worked in TV and know a lot of people um, represent themselves, um, you know, that that's fine if, if they know about the industry and they know people but you know you really do need an agent and that's what makes um if you struggle to find one that's yeah. what makes it all the much harder um so yeah my my heart goes out to you out there uh keep going keep trying um it will happen in the end and do you, obviously you alluded to this earlier that writing a novel is largely a solitary process compared to a screenplay which is often more collaborative um do you do you miss that more collaborative side of things um sometimes i find i miss the novels when i'm writing scripts and i write Mm -hmm. i miss script writing when i'm writing novels it's like the grass is always greener but luckily um all those those years ago cameron giving me that advice saying that writing novels would kickstart my screenwriting career he was right because i've um, got to write the pilot for the appeal um, in, in a couple of years since it's been out. So, awesome. um, and I hope to be doing the same for the Triford Code too. So, you know, he was right. You know, it worked. And, I, and I'm at the moment in the, you know, the great position of being able to do both novel writing and script writing. Yeah, that's brilliant. And it, it's safe to say that the appeal obviously has been a massive hit. It's it's top charts. It's been nominated for numerous awards. You are, of course, up against Tarek and. In one award, oh, yes, that's right. oh, yes. oh that's CWA awkward. Debut. <laughs> I know. Oh dear. Sorry about that. Cross um, over it. Um, but um, you know, after after having those difficult years as a screenwriter, it must be such a such a feeling, great feeling to 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 have this recognition for your writing. Absolutely, it's wonderful. I mean, I I didn't think it would happen. I mean, I thought it you know my time would come and gone because I'm no spring chicken um when I when the appeal was published I was 52 I'm now 53 and a half um so you know it's I, I thought you know was my time had my time come and gone was I never going to make it I'd kind of come to terms with that really I thought I just I enjoy writing so I'll keep writing whatever happens and I think once I once I got to that stage that was when things started to happen and I started to see some success and mm. I don't know if there's a link between the two or whether that something came across in my writing once once I'd cut, you know made my peace with not yeah, being taking successful the pressure off almost. Yeah. yeah it could could have been uh yeah so yeah, that's uh it's been wonderful I, I can't I still can't believe it I am going to wake up at some point but, <laughs> uh... well your your follow-up novel came out earlier this year called the Twyford Code mm-hmm. Um, which you mentioned, and am I right in saying you wrote it back to back with the first one? Uh, yeah. How did you combat the kind of idea of it being too similar, or you know, did you want it? 
to have a you obviously wanted to feel like it was uh, same the similar style etc because it's the same kind of it's audio um, extra audio files etc but it's a different vibe to it though yeah completely different I mean I I had then once the the appeal was uh, you know taken up by a publisher I then got a two book deal so I had to write another one um, which I was very excited about but I I kind of I'm still sort of doing bits and bobs for the appeal you know because you have to do structural edits then line edits then you know proofing um, so I didn't want to you know, to suddenly have characters that were similar in this second book. Um, so I, I made a few rules for myself when I started the Twyford Code. I thought, well, as the appeal had been a big ensemble um, cast with lots of characters, I was going to really narrow it down for this one. We're going to follow one character. And the, the appeal had been lots of women, lots of female characters. And I thought this one character in the Twyford Code is going to be a man. So I, ho- I hoped that would make, make enough difference um, so that people wouldn't say, well, this is the same book you've written again. Um, but it's it's kind of a balance as well, because if people have read your previous books and enjoyed them, yeah. they want to read something similar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's how similar you, how far you, you move out of your lane. It's kind of a decision you have to make it the more books you continue writing. And now I've written my third and I'm about to start my fourth. This is a, a consideration that is coming more and more to the fore. You know, do I, do I keep writing? Yeah, books that are similar to this, or do I? Because I'm on a creative journey. Um, do I? Do I listen to that? What I want to do, or do I? You know, give readers what they've had before. Do they want what they've had before? Uh, so yeah, it's it's a balance. And do you want to tell us a bit about what the Twyford Code's about, in case the listeners don't know? Yes, and you know, I'm often asked to describe the plots of my books and nothing sends my brain blanker than <laughs> being asked the, the plot of the book the I've just written. It's like really weird. Or something. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. I was once asked it. I was at the uh, Cheltenham um, Festival last year and it was the first time I'd been interviewed on radio, first time ever. And the, the chap asked me the, to, what the appeal was about and it was live radio and I went totally blank. I just and what he had to do in the end was turn the blurb around that he'd had, you know, on his press release, so that I could read off it. So embarrassing! It was so embarrassing. It was in the press room, uh, so I hope nobody was listening on that Cheltenham radio station on that day. So you you asked me what the plot of the Twyford Code is. Here goes. It's about um, a uh, a former prisoner called Stephen Smith, who's out after a long stretch inside. And he's at a turning point in his life. He wants to go straight and he's uh, got a probation officer and she suggests that he um, make a diary, really, of something that he has to look into from his past. And this is um, something that happened when he was 14. He remembers being in the remedial English class and his English teacher um, disappeared on a school trip. So he has to go back to his old classmates to find out exactly what happened because his memories are vague. And, but he knows something, there was something about it and it plays on his mind. So he goes back to his past to discover what happened. And because Steve has only just learned how to read, he still can't write and he's only just learned the basics. Uh, he has to keep this diary in the form of voice recordings. Now, what we're reading is an automatic transcription of 200 voice recordings that he made on that journey. Uh, so we we have to work something. That's about all I can say. I've remembered a, it all. Yeah, exactly. That's a good summary. Um, and but, there's no blurb that I can see as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No blurb. I haven't been looking at anything on my computer. But, but I did when I when the book first came out. I did when I was doing things like this and radio interviews. So I did have in front of me I yeah, just admit, so case, you, yeah. if you've listened to me before and i've sounded a bit like i'm reading something i probably have <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and is this for for all your books do you want to take it in this this format this different format not just straight prose is that is that what you enjoy when you're writing a novel I absolutely do enjoy it. I mean, my third um, book is slightly different. Again, it's a bit more like The Appeal, I'd say, rather than Twyford Code. Um, It's in the form of, well, what we're reading is research material for a true crime book rather than the actual book itself. We're just reading Mm. what the writer did. (laughs) 
and just today I got my line edits through. So this is quite a big day. I've done the structural edits and the line edits have just come back. So that's the second stage of edits where I'm looking through it line by line to comb out problems that have been highlighted. And, um, and what's next then? Are you, are you you mentioned that you're working on the, you've written the script for the appeal, the TV version, is that right? And That's are right, yeah. Are you hoping to be quite involved in that and to, and to keep writing scripts in that sense? Fingers crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, who knows how things pan out, but yeah, um, you know, things are always crossed in the screenwriting world. I, mean, I, th- I don't know how screenwriters manage to type with their fingers all crossed all the time, but <laughs> uh, we do. Um, <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, I'd like to go forward. I'd like to continue doing both novels and screenplays. Would be Would be great. That would be ideal. And actually, one question we didn't ask you when we were talking about your process and stuff, um, but, you know, the the topic of, of, of notes, editor's notes or notes when you're writing a screenplay often comes up. And what we've heard from screenwriters is that there can often be lots of notes from different people that conflict in, in various ways. And you as the screenwriter have to try and take all of that on board and make sense of it. I mean, I, I take it that experience in screenwriting probably helps with any editor's notes that you get as oh, well. Absolutely. I think all the time with any notes, um, you need, if you disagree with it or if you don't really get it, you need to look for the note behind the note. So the person given the note may has picked up on something that's wrong. Now their analysis of what it is or the solution might not be quite right or it's something that you've picked up that's not right but there's something there that you need to look at mm-hmm. to solve that problem so look at quite at what they're really saying if, if you know what i mean because um there'll be something there that they've picked up on for sure uh yeah it's it's an art to learn how to deal with notes i think psychologically and practically uh, in is the it, text um, is it something that as a debut novelist with your first novel obviously you had you had a lot of experience getting notes for years before you you you, you wrote a book. Um, is it hard to knowing? I suppose maybe maybe a question for when you started off screenwriting uh, and getting notes. Is it hard to know when you can push back or how to push back, or is that kind of danger of like, oh, what do I know? I'm just starting off. You know, this person knows more than me. I um I rarely push back. I I, I think it's a case to choose your battles, and that's not um. A sort of selfish thing at all it's to choose them um depending on how married you are to a particular part of the script i think it's very rarely that people give notes and there's not something there there's not something that needs to be addressed very very rarely mm. and you can always address it by doing something else that works to address what they're t- um they've picked up on but that also doesn't clash with what you're doing uh, so I think there's there's always a way through with notes. There's always something to look at. Um, but yeah, I, I I would really refuse to do anything at all because I think that's, um, if you're working with people, you respect their opinion and you need their input. And, you know, I, I would respect the people I'm working with too much to just ignore or to argue. Um, but at the same time, you know, there, there are some things um, that, you know, I'd like to keep. But then if I want to keep something that, you know, the note giver, wants me to delete um there's there might be a way of doing the same thing differently to delete it but to solve that problem yeah. in another way so yeah. i think there's you have to be creative with notes really creative thinking uh, with it as creative as, as when you were first right uh, working on that part of the of the script or of the novel um so yeah it's against not you learn how to do it you learn how to to deal with notes and you learn how to deal with people giving them and I, I'm lucky, really. I, I've only ever worked with people I've respected and, and whose opinion that I know matters and is, is good. What was the last book that you read? The last book I read was... Um, it's over there. Da, 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 da. Let me just get it off because I yeah, read a lot no, of books uh, at the moment. I read lots of ARCs, you know, uh, advanced reader copies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And fabulous. It's a, this is one of the perks of being um, a well-known writer is you get to read books before anyone else reads them. <laughs> yeah. And it's it's fabulous. Let me just take my um, headphones sure, off. I'm yeah, going to yeah. go and look for a book. This is live live action of me going to look <laughs> for a book. On my... 
this book was brilliant. There it is. That's the arc I'm showing it over the Zoom. It's nice. called um, Runtime, and it's by Catherine Ryan Howard, and it's out in 18th of August. It's brilliant. It's fabulous. It's set in the film industry, which, um, you know, is something we've been talking about uh, now. It's funny. It's terrifying. I, I There was a, one time I finished reading this while I was, you know, waiting to switch the night, light out to go to sleep. I didn't want to switch the light out. It was so scary. But at the same time, really smart and funny and really great read. So, yeah, that's my last cool. book. Ka- Runtime, Catherine Ryan Howard. Awesome. I like the arc there. It's quite a nice. It looks looks like Isn't a kind it? of clapperboard. For those looks like a clapperboard. Yeah, very it's, cool. Uh, I don't think that's the actual cover of the book. I think the the book itself has a different cover, but the arc, um, yeah, very very nice, stylish. Cool. Um, and what about the last film that you watched? Oh, last. You know, I haven't watched a film in ages. It could be. What was that one? This is going to be like a quiz. What was that film? <laughs> That was on um, it's either Amazon Prime or Netflix, and it was about lockdown. Was it called The Bubble? Is that right? Oh, oh yes. Uh-huh. They're making the a movie. Bubble. Yeah, they were making a movie, weren't they? And it was a lot of um, David Duchovny was in it. Yeah, that's yeah, the yeah. I remember, well, yeah, it was quite a, yeah. A, a, a wild sort of film. It was crazy. I, I enjoyed it. It was great. Nice. Uh, and uh, last TV series that you watched or are watching? Oh, uh, uh, I've just, well, not just, but the last big series that I finished was Ozark. Oh, So I yeah. feel a bit bereft. as well. That was a yeah. fantastic no final season. Yeah, no, Marco, yeah. Oh, you're, you're on season one, Marco? <laughs> yeah, I've only watched season one. Of, no, really, I can't, can't say anything. Ahead of you. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I wish I was still on season one. That's great. I know, but I'm also glad they ended it when they did and, you know, yeah. they wrapped up in the way they wanted and didn't just drag on. So it's quite it's quite good. True. But yeah, no, that was the excellent show. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, the very, very last thing we always do is a super quick fire either or and uh, I always say there's no right answer apart from one. Uh, so we'll start off with uh, TV or cinema? Uh, oh, TV. Uh, night Owl or Early Bird? Early Bird. Uh, music or no music when you're writing? While I'm writing, no music. But I, if I've got a gap in writing, I might put music on. Cool. Uh, and um, a fancy restaurant or a takeaway? Mm, oh, that's a hard one. I love both. <laughs> um, takeaway. Because then I can watch telly while I've got it. Yeah, yeah. takeaway. <laughs> I'm going to add one in here. Uh, books or scripts? Oh, Oh, no, that's even harder. <laughs> um, well, I'm writing books at this very second. So, yeah, I have to say books. Right right today I'm writing a book. So to Fair enough. books today. And then the the very last one, but I think I already know the answer, having seeing your background. But a uh, real book or e-book? Real book. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The, the listeners yeah, can't see, book. but there's a big shelf of, of yeah. lots of books there behind. So. Yeah, very, I, did very give, nice I gave ebooks a chance, but I couldn't get on with them. I just prefer an actual book in my hand. Yeah, there's, there is something nice about having a physical book, yeah. but it's the, the ebooks come into the room when you're on holiday. That's, that, that's the best. Absolutely. Thing. You've got your backpack full of a thousand books, and it's fine. But yeah. Yeah. And I, I have to say, I've got a bit of a book problem because I've got these uh, <laughs> shelves you can see behind me, yeah. but everywhere else that you can't see. Um, there's piles of books. They're, they're yeah. everywhere. The storage of, and of books becomes quite quite a problem. It's an a absolute while, sure. a huge problem for me. I have to say, it's a big problem. It's a nice problem um, to have, but it's also a, yeah. it's a problem. <laughs> well, I really enjoyed that chat with Janice. So thanks very much for for coming on to the podcast and. I thought it was really interesting what she was saying about the this idea of the note behind the note because I think it's, and we've heard this from others, it's, it's often the yeah. case that you'll yeah. get a note um, that says there's something wrong with the with the book that isn't working but what they're suggesting may not be the right thing so you just need to try and identify what the issue actually is behind it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important when, when, when I can't remember who it was who said but you know when if someone says there's a problem and here's the solution, often disregard the solution. But the fact that they're flagging up something, they're, they're definitely flagging up something is wrong. And it's up to you as a writer to to work out 
they think this is this is the answer, but maybe there's actually a, a another underlying reason why the confusion's arisen, and that's quite tricky, I think. Yeah, I think it might have been Neil Gaiman who said that people can tell you what's wrong, but they can't tell you the answer. Yeah, I think that's right. So, yeah, as the writer, you need to try and um, find the answer yourself, even though these notes are always useful in, in identifying an issue with the book. But anyway, thanks to Janice for coming on. Uh, her new book, The Twyford Code, is out, and we'll put links in the podcast description so yep. that you can buy that. And um, obviously, you can get it in the, your friendly local bookshop as well. But next week, uh, we've got another great guest, and Absolutely. the crime theme continues. Yeah, next week, we're chatting with Victoria Selman, who um, her new book is Truly Darkly Deeply. And it is a, um, a number, a massive hit already. It's been out for about a week at the time of recording. It's already in the charts. It's fantastic. I don't think it's even been a week, yeah. is it? Um, and it's a, a serial killer um, uh, family drama kind of mixed together. It's, I'm in the middle of reading it right now and it is, it's very, very good. And yeah, so I'm very excited to, to hear what she has to say. Yeah, so uh, please do tune in for that one because it will be another great episode. Um, and if you have enjoyed today's episode, then please do give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast app, only if it's a good review. <laughs> uh, and um, if you can like and subscribe and all of these things, that really helps us climb the charts, which we have been doing. I mean, so, is, yeah, please do continue keep, with keep that. Keep pleading, Michael. Keep, keep begging. Keep, it's obviously working. Um, and of course, if anybody wants to get in touch, they can always send us uh, a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at UK page one, or send us an email, um, which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk. But otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode. See you later. 